Welcome to the Berkeley Journal of International Law's podcast, Trevo. I'm your host, Haley Duradawan, and this is The Current State. Hi, everyone. Haley here, as per usual. And today I'll be speaking with Ria Mehta about the United Nations 2022 Climate Change Report. Ria is an LLM student at Berkeley Law and one of our fantastic Trevo contributors. Ria, it's great to have you here. I'm glad to be here, and thanks so much for having me on the air. So to provide some background on my topic, in 1988, the World Meteorological Organization, together with the United Nations Environment Program, more popularly known as the UNEP, created the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the IPCC. This UN body assesses the science behind climate change. It educates global governments on its findings by publishing annual climate change reports. The IPCC presently has 195 members, all of whom contribute to its research and reporting. Notably, the IPCC doesn't conduct its own research, but instead works by assessing published literature from its member states. These reports aim to be objective and unbiased and go through multiple rounds of open and transparent drafting and review. The reports include recommendations for the development of progressive climate change policies to be implemented by world governments at all levels. This year, the IPCC published its climate change report on February 28, and its outlook, unfortunately, is quite poor. Thank you for that overview, Ria. Can you briefly share the themes covered by this year's report? In the words of UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres, the report demonstrates how Quote, delay means death, unquote, when it comes to climate change. The report was released only three months after the last UN climate change conference was held in Glasgow, Scotland. Its findings suggest that even if all promises made by world leaders at the conference were realized, the world is still headed towards a catastrophe. Mr. Guterres referred to the report as, quote, code red for humanity, unquote. Our planet is deteriorating at a pace faster than we can adapt reduced food and water security, adverse effects on physical and mental health, extreme weather events, extinction, damage to infrastructure, and other dire economic losses are all in our near future, even if we meet the highly ambitious 2 degrees Celsius target for global warming. The report also holds climate change responsible for humanitarian crises like floods, droughts, and the rampant malnutrition crisis that result from them. However, not everything is bleak and grim. The report does suggest various measures of mitigation, adaptation, and most importantly, climate resilient development that we can pursue to mitigate climate change's disastrous impacts on public health outcomes. Thank you so much for that overview. Now that we've kind of had the broad basis of this, can you get into some more of the details of the report? I know there was a lot in there about the regions and people who will be most impacted by climate change. The report finds that approximately 3.4 billion people living in deserts, low-lying coastal regions, and tropical climates are already living in highly vulnerable contexts subject to extreme temperatures, heat, storms, and flooding. These people will bear the brunt of global warming and are most at risk. If the right actions aren't taken now, they and their environment's ability to adapt to climate change will soon be exhausted. The harm caused will be irreversible. The report finds that many natural systems have already closed in on their hard limits of natural adaptation capacity, including warm water coral reefs, some rainforests, and some polar and mountain ecosystems. Moreover, the report finds that vulnerability to loss and damage from climate change 
is higher in areas stricken with poverty, governance challenges, and limited access to basic resources. There's often overlap between these impoverished areas and communities highly vulnerable to the impacts of climate change. Additionally, rural areas and areas with high poverty rates already face many, quote, non-climate challenges, unquote, which make it more difficult to help these communities become more resilient to the effects of climate change. This exasperates their vulnerability. Challenges include a lack of access to main economic arteries such as roads, airports, train stations and bridges that can funnel supplies, a lack of broadband access to lobby to their central governments for these resources, and increased national and global awareness of their dire situations, and an inability for governments to enforce green construction rules in these distant areas. These green construction guidelines you mentioned sound like the climate resilient development that you'd mentioned briefly at the start of the episode. Can you tell us more about the UN's vision for sustainable construction and why sustainable construction is so important in the fight against climate change? Climate resilient development is a regional planning and construction philosophy that effectively mitigates greenhouse gas emissions and achieves long-sought environmental justice for peoples impacted by pollution. Portions of the vision include walkable cities, robust public transportation that provides people an alternative to their gas-powered cars, green roofs that recycle the energy they use, expansion of park spaces that can serve as natural carbon sinks, and required use of sustainable materials and zero-emission construction methods, among many other tools. To accomplish these goals effectively, the private sector, civil society, and governments must work together to reduce risks and mitigate cost overruns. We also accelerate climate resilient development when we include traditionally marginalized groups, including women, youth, indigenous peoples, and ethnic minorities in the conversation, instead of legislating development from the top down. This way, we can implement projects locals know will improve the environmental health of their community and begin to rectify past harms done to them. Listening to the impacted communities also avoids maladaptive responses that occur when governments prioritize affluent urban areas, the people who already have the most political power, or marginalized regions. We can't defeat climate change by limiting our investment to some areas. Climate change impacts us all, and we've got to help all communities mitigate it. And what is the time frame for taking action? And additionally, what do you consider the greatest takeaways from this report? The report contains an overwhelming amount of alarming facts, all pointing to the urgent need for mitigating and adaptive action aimed at combating the climate crisis. Climate change is an active threat to the future of all mankind, but one that can be averted. However, the window to take such action is past closing, and before all harm becomes irreversible, the report urges world leaders to take urgent and dire actions necessary to, quote, secure a livable and sustainable future for all, unquote. To conclude, I'd like to quote Ms. Inga Anderson, director of the UNEP, quote, climate change isn't lurking around the corner waiting to pounce. It's already upon us, raining down blows on billions of people, unquote. And where can people go if they'd like to learn more about your topic? All of the IPCC's work, including the present report, are available on its website at www.ipcc.ch. The organization has attempted to make its work as accessible as possible. Take, for example, the present report. You can browse the full report, a technical summary, or just the headline statements, depending upon the time you've got to browse and the level of detail you'd like to venture into. 
Fantastic. Thanks so much for joining us today, Ria. It's my absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me on Travel Haley. Thank you for listening. Travo is brought to you by Haley Duradawan, Kayleen Kosla, and the members of the online team at the Berkeley Journal of International Law. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please write to us at berkeley.travaux at gmail.com. While we're committed to bringing you international and comparative law news and insight, our podcast is intended for academic and entertainment purposes only. The information presented is not legal advice and may not be current. Please check out the Berkeley Journal of International Law's blog, Travo. See you next week. Au revoir.